I've listened to Abraxas by Santana for a year. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Everybody and welcome back to Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me, you know him, you love him. Some of you may even call him your champion. It's Connor. That's me. How you doing? Ready to talk about some more music? Another album? Aren't I always? Usually that's the case when we sit down to record. This week we're talking about Santana. Carlos Santana. Who's he? I'm about to tell you who he is, but he's a guitar player. Now, I don't know how much you've crossed paths with Santana because you're the classic rock guy. You have a history of underestimating me in this this department. That's why I'm asking, because I'm not going to make any more assumptions. The last several weeks have proved me very wrong between the Black Crows and the Beatles, you know. My first encounter that I can remember with Santana it's something that's come up on the podcast before, actually. Really? For a second, I thought you were going to say, was 24 hours ago, <laughs> which <laughs> I wouldn't put it past you. No. What have we talked about before? Is it like a marching band show? No. <laughs> Although, hang on. I was going to say, the marching band did do a Santana show. We did. I think that was the year before me. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> what was your first Santana encounter then? Guitar Hero 3, Legends of Rock. Guitar Hero. We have talked about that. <laughs> well, I've not played all the guitar heroes extensively what santana is in guitar hero black magic woman okay so you knew that that's a big significant chunk of this album i think that was my first encounter with him okay that's a good first encounter my first encounter was in a history of rock music class we talked about oye como va and wow it just was really something and and i figured you know as a guitar player he's someone i should study and look into and that's what led me here to this album obviously one of the tentpole tracks is oye como va and black magic woman another one of the band's bigger hits so yeah that's our santana background let's get into the santana foreground santana the band was formed in 1966 in san francisco california by none other than esteemed guitarist carlos santana in san francisco oh you think there's a a san thing going on there i honestly i think it was just because his name was santana pretty sure there's not a correlation san fran uh, or santan frisco <laughs> santan <laughs> yeah santan frisco is where <laughs> the band san frano was formed but the man carlos santana the myth the legend was born in 1947 in mexico carlos started learning to play guitar by the time he was eight from his father who was a mariachi musician actually did you know that wasn't the first instrument he learned it wasn't i don't think i did know that Mm -mm. he started on the violin and then moved to guitar interesting that's an interesting transition on one hand quite literally you know you learn to play the stringed instrument and put pressure on the strings and stuff like i bet that translates really well from a violin to a guitar on the other hand one holds a bow the other one has to strum and i think that rhythmic difference probably takes some adjustment but i mean when you're eight i'm sure you could pick up either one with similar ease (laughs) But once he started picking up a guitar, once he made the switch from violin, he started getting into all kinds of artists like B.B. King, Richie Valens, Jimi Hendrix, Fleetwood Mac's Peter Green, especially, and more. Rock and roll, blues, Mexican music, you know, the mariachi style, really shaped a lot of his musical tastes and would become crucial cornerstones of all the music that he would go on to make, including this album. 
He started to play music on the Tijuana Strip and hone his live performance skills there. When he was just a kid, he came to the U.S. sometime in the window of like 10 to 12 years old under some really difficult circumstances. But he comes to the United States, barely a teenager, and he gets the opportunity to play at a famous San Francisco venue, one we've talked about, the Fillmore. We talked about it in our Janis Joplin episode. The situation was a show got canceled. (laughs) but they didn't want to refund all the tickets. The venue says, what are we going to do? Let's call up a bunch of local musicians and kind of just fill that time slot with a a patchwork band. So Santana shows up and he blows people away. People really start to take notice of this guy playing the guitar. They're loving it. One second, you know, it was silence. The next, like, wait, that guy's playing the guitar. I noticed that. I noticed he started playing. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much how it went down, to my understanding. If you asked me if I knew he played the guitar, my answer would have been yes, because I noticed. There you go. That's a testament to how noticeable it was. Shortly thereafter, he got together with some musician friends to form the one and only Santana Blues Band, who signed with Columbia Records and started cutting an album by 1969. Oh, we'll have to put a stop to that. Put a stop to what? We'll have to form a band for Connor Sippin and Hoppin' album called the Santana Blues Band, so they're no longer the one and only. Oh, You don't want him to be the one and only Santana blues band? I don't know. I'll think about it throughout the episode. Sure. I mean, he is Santana. It's his blues band. But but okay. So 1969 comes. They're cutting an album. That album, self-titled Santana, was mostly instrumental with a lot of long-form jams. The band really had a tough time with it. They tried three separate times to record this album. They kept doing it and kind of being dissatisfied with it and starting over. They, you know, rinse and repeat. It wasn't their favorite album, but the single Evil Ways started to chart really well, and the whole album made it to number four in the U.S. In the future, they decided to scale back on the jam sessions in favor of a lot shorter, tighter, more radio-friendly songs, and that is a decision that worked out pretty well for them. After that first album, too, they did get to play at Woodstock, which is huge, like THE Woodstock in 1969, before they had a single album out, which is kind of wild. And apparently he was on LSD. At Woodstock? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me. I I don't want to know everything that went on there, to be honest. <laughs> but Santana and his band at Woodstock was actually a big surprise for people. You know, you come in with a band that's never put out an album. I don't know what your expectations were like in 1969, but they jammed out for 45 minutes. The crowd was, once again, struck by his guitar playing and their musicianship. That 45-minute set netted them about $2,500, which, for the record, is about a third of what the festival paid Janis Joplin, just because that fact blew me away when we talked about her. So I thought it would be interesting to compare. After that debut album, they were also compelled to make some lineup changes. Not all of them were necessarily voluntary or by choice. It was the first of many lineup changes for the band, actually. Over the years, Carlos Santana himself has been the lone constant member with more than 70 musicians temporarily joining and leaving the roster to play with Santana, which who can blame him? If I were given the opportunity, I mean, count me in, you know? The first set of lineup changes, though, brought together the band that would record Abraxas, Santana's sophomore album, and the one we're talking about today. That lineup is the man, the myth, the legend, Carlos Santana on guitar, Greg Rowley on the keyboards, and doing vocals on the few places that they appear. 
David Brown played the bass, Michael Shreve played the drums, and Jose Chapito Arias on percussion, like congas, timbales, and more. And then Michael Carabello, another percussionist and a keyboardist. That's the Santana Blues Band in 1970. So let's talk a little bit about Abraxas. Initial thoughts? Do you have initial thoughts? Can I fish one out of you? I don't know what kind of bait you're using. A, a worm? What kind of worm? A good one. Yeah, okay. I'll bite. All right, got him. I'm reeling him in. (laughs) (laughs) I dig it. You dig it. Okay. I think that's probably all I'm going to get for now. But digging it's an interesting and intriguing first statement. (laughs) Well, Abraxas, I dig it too. Abraxas came out in September of 1970, and it was Santana's first number one album in the United States. It's named after a 1919 book called Demian by German-Swiss author Hermann Hesse. They put a quote from the book on the back cover, and that quote reads, We stood before it and began to freeze inside from the exertion. We questioned the painting, berated it, made love to it, prayed to it. We called it Mother, called it our beloved, called it Abraxas. And in turn, that is a reference to a Greek word for a Gnostic character. It's really complicated, the the myth and the lore behind Abraxas as a term. But it's interesting, worth a deep dive. The album's conception started off with a cover of Fleetwood Mac and Peter Green's song, Black Magic Woman, mixed together with Gabor Szabo's Gypsy Queen. It kind of grew out of that mashup of covers. We'll kind of go through it soon, obviously, but that's the cornerstone of this record, where it all starts out. It's really Santana's signature brand of Latin-infused blues rock, and it's really heavily focused on instrumentals and especially on rhythm throughout the album. I mean, that's what you'd expect from a band with like three different people on percussion, right? But I think it's cool that they're they're able to do that. I don't think any of the percussionists really step on each other's toes. They all blend and work together really well on this record. It's nice. Abraxas was an instant success, and it remains acclaimed to this day. It spent six weeks at number one and stayed on the charts for 88 entire weeks. It would end up going four times platinum for selling four million copies within 16 years. That's pretty fast in the grand scheme of things. Rolling Stone has put it as high as number 205 on its greatest albums of all time list, though it did drop in 2020 down to 344. Abraxas is also mentioned in that infamous 1001 Albums to Hear Before You Die book. I don't know if we've talked about it here before. I need to read that book and then listen to all the 1001 albums in it. I've probably hit a pretty good portion of them, I think, but I want to know them all. You want them all? I want them all. All Music also gives Abraxas a perfect five-star rating, and Abraxas made it into the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry back in 2015 for being culturally, historically, or artistically significant. So that's where we're hanging out today. For the rest of their career, after Abraxas, the band put out Santana 3, which, to be honest, makes me think that Abraxas is technically Santana 2, right? Like it's an album sequence, you know? Mm-hmm. But I don't think they really consider it or call it Santana 2. I don't know. Like I said, they went on to have plenty more lineup changes. To date, the band, Santana, mostly, again, just Carlos Santana and the revolving door of instrumentalists he chooses to work with, they've put out 26 studio albums and eight live albums. Their most recent studio album came out in 2021, so they're still going quite strong to this day, apart from some slight health scares in 2022 that have mostly been resolved for the for the better, so that's nice. The band, in total, has sold well over 100 million records, with four number one albums. Once again, Abraxas leads that charge. Santana has eight Grammy Awards, three Latin Grammys, and their first two albums each made it into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2012 and 1999, respectively. 
So Santana made it 2012, Abraxas 1999. And the band was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1998. Other interesting little trivia tidbits you might want to know, maybe, if you're interested in Santana. We talked about Stevie Ray Vaughan, right? Master of the Fender Stratocaster. Well, Santana's guitar of choice is the Gibson, or at least it was early on. Throughout his career, he's played plenty of Les Pauls and SG Specials. He was playing with custom Gibsons as early as 1982. But in 1988, PRS Guitars made an entire special Santana line of guitars that he's used ever since. There are more than a dozen unique PRS Santana models. And he also, as a guitarist, tries to limit the effects and the pedals that he uses His sound, his signature kind of sound, is really clean, really clear, and you'll hear it all over Abraxas. I mean, start to end, his guitar just rings out like a bell. And that consistency of his sound, I think, from track to track, really provides a nice through thread for the album. It it kind of ties everything together well. So anyway, that's preliminary stuff about Santana, about Abraxas, and about fishing. Now, it is time to get into some fact or spin. Where, uh... Sneak peek, we're going to get back into fishing. What? Okay. <laughs> it's a little sneak peek. I, see. I got a little sneak peek at the mixtaper's notes. What are the odds? That that doesn't... I guess we'll have to wait and see what really happens. Yeah. But that could be interesting. Yep. So let's get them all out here. All right, let's do it. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Ooh, hello. Welcome back to the show, mixtaper. Hop on the boat. Let's... Go fishing. Okay. It's not going to be... We, we don't have to talk about fishing the whole time. Are we still in season six of Factor Spin? Yeah. Okay. Why wouldn't we be? I don't know. I'm just curious. I mean, we just finished episode 100, so... So? I don't know. That kind of provides a natural transition point if we were going to go into a new season. That's why we can't do it. <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> Nothing natural about these seasons. They have a mind of their own. They know when their time is up. I don't think that's true. There was a format to them for a while. I mean, the first... Like two- a phoenix you know bursting in the flames and a new one baby one born from its ashes that's how our seasons are okay well that's not happening now let's let's hit this continuation of season six episode 101 great tell me a truth or tell me a lie but one thing you better not do is tell me which one it is until i guess pick a number this is santana's second album i'll go with number two pick a different number Okay. Well, if you're going to be like that. <laughs> well, I, I just I want to save the fishing one for last. <laughs> really build up the suspense. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. Well, now we all know it's the fishing one. All right. Let's let's roll it back to number one. Number one. He was a TikTok star. Santana was a TikTok star. So I'm telling you. That's not a thing that my brain wants to understand. I know he's still around and still doing great. I know TikTok's been thriving for a long time. What kind of TikToks was he starring in? Playing guitar? Or was his music picked up and TikTokified? Uh, yeah. Yeah, playing guitar. He was playing guitar at TikTok. At what? At TikTok? Yeah. Like at the office? At the TikTok headquarters? or At the drive-in. What? At uh, TikTok's drive-in on 3rd Street in San Francisco. So you're not talking about TikTok like the app. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're talking about a place called the TikTok drive-in. Yeah. Like T-I-C-K-T-O-C-K? Yeah. Right, okay. TikTok's drive-in. So uh, he's having a concert at a drive-in. That's unique. No. Does he do it often? No. Well, I guess he probably did it often then at the time. What? Yeah, what time was this? Now that we don't have TikTok the app to contextualize anymore, when did this happen? Back before he was discovered. Way before TikTok the app. <laughs> Early 70s then. Well, late 
60s, really. Yeah, this was his day job. His day job was to play guitar at a drive-in? Like his entertainment in between? Well, no, just to work at a drive-in. Oh, he wasn't a star. <laughs> no. Well, he worked there, but then in between showings would perform on occasion. Okay. So he's the guy that, like, what, makes your popcorn and comes to your car if your speaker's not working or whatever. And then in the meantime, in between shows, he just sets up and plays. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What a fact. I like it. I think this is true. This is. Are you locking that in? Yes. You got any other questions? No, no further questions, I think. TikTok star working and playing at the drive-in. The TikTok drive-in. This is... A spin. Oh, man. Really? But but it was so like... <laughs> he did work at TikTok's drive-in on 3rd Street in San Francisco as a dishwasher. And after his very first ever audition to like play music, the promoter at the event told Carlos Santana that he would never make it playing Latin Fusion and told him to not quit his day job. Boy, that's a joke. <laughs> yeah. So he didn't ever play there or anything. He just worked there. Wow. And got told not to quit his day job. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate, but now we know about the TikTok drive-in. Wild. Is it still open? I know a lot of drive-ins aren't. No clue. Probably not being in San Francisco, but let's look. And in the 1960s, probably ill-maintained. I don't know. I just saw that. I saw that he worked at a place called TikTok, and I was like, I can work with this. <laughs> TikTok star. That's one of your best deceptive titles. It threw me for a pretty <laughs> solid loop for a minute. Good, good. Well, let's move on. We can't touch fact number two yet. That's off limits. Let's move to fact number three. Uh, he has a school named after him. What kind of school? Like a music school or just like a normal education school? It's the Carlos Santana Arts Academy. Ah, so it is like a music school. Is it a school that he went to that renamed itself in his honor? Or is it a school that he founded? Like, what's his connection to this school? No, he didn't go to it or anything. And it's actually, it's an elementary school. Its previous name was Valley Region Elementary School Number 12 in the San Fernando Valley. Number 12. I see why they needed a change. Yeah. We ran out of names for schools 11 schools ago. Send help. The, <laughs> the board said that the Mexican board guitarist was a compelling role model for the students, both for his long-standing musical achievements and for his philanthropy. Yeah, sure. That's true. But none of his philanthropy includes the school. Like there you're talking no connection whatsoever. Not that I could find. Okay. What about after the school was named in his honor? Has he showed up and played there or philanthropized there? Not that I could find. Wow. Wonder how many schools out there are like that. That just like usurped someone's name. <laughs> and everyone's like, wow, cool. I go to the Jimi Hendrix school, but really it's like like in Maine, you know, like no connection at all. <laughs> this was done in uh, September of 2011. Oh, wow. Surprisingly recent. I'm going to say this one's a fact. There's plenty of schools out there named after people. It's just that not many of them are named after living people who have no affiliation with the school. But sure. This is a fact. Ooh, a fact. You could get a degree, an elementary degree, from Carlos Santana School. We should go. I bet we could graduate in no time. And then we could be honorary Santana graduates. Let's do it. Is there a GED but for elementary school? <laughs> what do we do? We move on to fact number three. I think you mean fact number four. Well, the third one we're doing, but it is fact number four. <laughs> I have to say, we've been doing this number thing where I pick a random one of your facts for a long time. 
And that's always been very confusing, I think. Like, when I listen back to the podcast... Maybe we should start calling them facts A, B, C, and D. Maybe we should just go back to where you just present them to me in some order where you can ramp them. I think it's more fun when you pick them, though. I don't know. It takes out any accidental bias on my side, makes it harder for you. Yeah, but we remove the final ramp. Not always. Sometimes you pick it in a good ramp order, and sometimes it's fun just to hit you with a wild one in the middle. <laughs> that's true. It's kind of fun when you pick them and you don't never know what's going to come down the down the pike anyway what's the next fact fact number four for fact number three yeah fact d coming in in slot number three he's an entrepreneur what does he do as an entrepreneur does he have a business does he sell things make a product provide a service a lot of a lot of things yeah like several different brands okay like what what brands are under the santana umbrella let's see we've got cologne by santana oh okay we've got Perfume by Santana. Okay, the same thing, but a little different, yeah. Uh, Santana tequila. Very different. How's it compare, I wonder, to Justin Timberlake's full limage? Oh, good question. Might have to have a tequila off. <laughs> yeah, let's see how that goes. But it's okay if he loses, because he can always fall back on DVX sparkling wine. Sparkling wine. Or, you know, Carlos by Carlos Santana Shoes, which is a woman's shoe line. Shoes, interesting. And then uh, some restaurants called Maria Maria... Was there a third word? You did sounded like you were about to say another thing at the end of Maria Maria. No, just Maria Maria. So he's got restaurants, shoes, tequila, cologne, and perfume. And wine. Oh, and sparkling wine. Right. What inspired him to get into products like this and put his name on things? Did people approach him and say, hey, we think you're an excellent role model and philanthropizer in the San Francisco area, and you got that school named after you. We'd love to have some shoes named after you. And he's like, sure. Or did he go to the shoe company and be like, look, you know you want me. And they were like, darn right. Uh, I think the shoes came more from his wife. But the rest of it was all kind of his idea. Okay. Just something to do with all the money, you know, he had. And ways to make more of it. Yeah, and as a philanthropist, <laughs> you said, back on the elementary school fact, what's he do with all the money? Does he, I don't know, give it to charities? Does he use it to fund things? Sounds like he uses it to fund more products. More products. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, one of these days he's going to get to the mountaintop and then have to find something else to do. And these have all sold well. When did he start making things? And are all of them still around? Yeah, all of them still around. You could go to Maria Maria right now. That's probably very far away, but maybe add it to the spinner on the road to-do list. There's one in California, in Walnut Creek, one in Mill Valley. Outside of California, there's one in um, Arizona and one in Austin, Texas, actually. That's probably the closest, but still quite far. Good to know. I think this is a fact. Yeah? Yeah. I'm, for some reason, a little skeptical, I guess, but it doesn't... Those all seem like very reasonable products for Santana to create, I feel like. Hmm. I don't know. That just seems in line with his branding. So, yeah. Does it sway your opinion one way or another if I tell you he has a guy's guide to buying women's shoes? No, I I think maybe that helps, to be honest. Okay, just wanted to check. Well, I just feel like, what if you just said that and it's not true? You wouldn't have just said that. I don't know anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm confused and I'm going to say fact. Going with fact. This is... A true fact. Oh, yay. He does have a guy's guide to buying women's shoes. I thought if he makes women's shoes, you know, that might be a helpful thing to have to put out there. I don't know the first thing about buying women's shoes. So I'll have to call up Carlos Santana, consult his guide. There's this website called Ultimate Santana. Wow, this is thorough. A thorough guide to buying women's shoes. Yeah, but that leaves us with fact number B. 
Okay, now we can call it that <laughs> number B. We gotta really, we gotta, we gotta standardize here. We'll work something out, but that was rough. This is the fishing one, huh? The infamous fishing fact. Yeah, uh, in a way. Yeah, so it's gonna sound like it's about fishing at first, but then not be about fishing at all. <laughs> he has an animal named after him. <gasps> oh, cool. These are always fun. Yes. And borderline impossible, let me just say. As someone who has to figure out... Whether the Umaguma is a real fly or like the Johnny Cashy is a real spider, this is a real pain in my butt because it honestly could go either way 80-90% of the time. So I presume the animal named after Carlos Santana is a fish. That is what one would assume. One would be wrong. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Stop. Is it, is it a worm? It's a worm. <laughs> it's a worm. What kind of worm? Hey, that's what Connor asked you earlier. That is. I just wanted to do a little callback. Wouldn't it have been funny if when he asked me earlier, I had said whatever kind of worm the Santana worm is? Oh, that would have annoyed me. <laughs> yeah, well, you would never have seen it coming. Yeah. Lucky for you, I have no idea what kind of worm is named after Santana. The Santana lid? It's a flat worm. A flat worm. What's it named? Here we go. Best bet. <laughs> like, you know how I am with pronouncing things. Yeah, and yet you keep picking facts that require you to say names. I'm going to go with Santanalia Punka. Punka? Okay. That's how I'm going to choose to pronounce that. <laughs> Who discovers this worm? And when? When did people find this? 2018. And that then is obviously pretty recent. What on earth caused them to name it after Santana? It was discovered in Atlan de Navarro. Okay. Which is where Carlos Santana was born. Interesting. Hmm. How are they still discovering flatworms in 2018? I just, that always blows my mind. I mean, they always say the same thing about like. Yeah, about everything. About everything <laughs> they discover. I'm like, wow, how'd they do that? But so far, I have to check. I have to check what? Yeah, I think the three times that you've given me this fact, all of them have been true. Oh. Which puts me in a pickle, because... <laughs> yeah, does history... Is history... History is merely an indicator of what might happen, not what will happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think this one is a spin. Is a spin. It's bold. Thinks I'm breaking the pattern. I think you're breaking the pattern, because I think you would know that you've told me all facts. I don't know whether you even considered it to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I really hadn't, but <laughs> sure, go ahead. Well, well, I don't know. I just... Believe what you want to believe. The worst I can do is 50-50. Yeah. And you can't always be telling me the truth about worms. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, I can't. I, I don't know. I guess I'm just going to say that this one's a spin. And I think you wanted to make up a funny name and, and the birthplace thing. That's a good tie-in. He's more connected to this worm than that elementary school, if it's true. Just for, just for the record. <laughs> anyway, is this real? Is this a real worm? This is a spin. It's a spin. <laughs> it's he, a lied. Spin. he lied about the worm. Wow. I'm honestly surprised. Everything we kind of went through at the end there was making me think it was true. I wish you would have changed your mind. I was close, but I, I trusted the gut this time and it worked out. Yeah. However, oh. with this point comes a curse. 
that you know quite well. I don't know what that means. Yeah. This fact is true. Oh, shoot. About someone we will do in the future. About a worm named after them that was discovered in their hometown? Someone in the future has a worm named after them. Well, clearly it's not named the Santana Lid thing. No, I had to make up a new name, obviously. Yeah, and that's kind of, the name was a little too Santana. Was It's kind of what tipped me off. I was like, that sent the alarm bells ringing. Fair enough. But yeah, so be on the lookout for more wormage, <laughs> more fishing trips. Oh my gosh. In the future. More wormage. <laughs> we're entering our worm era. No, we're not. <laughs> Episode 101 does not begin the worm era. I guess, honestly, that leaves us with three, three unanswered facts. Out in the wild. Because the Beyonce one was very close to true, but not quite. It was. The hat on the plane is still unresolved. Yeah. And Ryan the ghost yep. is still unresolved. And now... Oh, listen, pick them. These are all three big enough artists that you should absolutely pick them at some point. I'm not picking like obscure ones. Like these are some big artists. I know. Well, we can so. only go so fast. We can only go one per week. Yeah, I'm just waiting on them to waiting on them to be picked. So you are. In the meantime, that's another win for me. My not losing streak is going strong at three episodes. It's true. It's true. You're doing good. Thank you. Feeling good. So I guess I'll see you next time for another exciting round of Factor Spin. The warm era continues. And maybe some wormage. Gross. Yeah. Why do we add edge to the end of words? Limage? Wormage? That's a very mixtaper thing. <laughs> I don't know, but it's fun. Yeah, I guess so. Fun for him anyway. We like to let him have his little fun. Let's talk about the album cover of Abraxas. This is a painting. What do you think? You look at this album cover. That's a painting? Yeah, that's a painting. Of? Of a lot of things, actually. The, it's a 1961 painting called Annunciation by Maddie Clarwine. Santana saw it in a magazine and loved it, said he needed it to be this album cover. And actually, the picture is a lot bigger than the little square that's on the album cover. You can find the whole thing online. It's very colorful and intense. There's a naked woman on the front and an angel and some fabric and cloth and sun and sky and flowers and, I mean, a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. It's a very busy album cover, but honestly, I think it matches the style of the album pretty well. I agree. It just seems to kind of embody that sound. And while this isn't the first time Maddie Clarwine's art adorned a record, it wasn't the last. He also did work for Earth, Wind, and Fire, Greg Allman, Miles Davis, and more. So maybe you have seen more art like this out and about but who's to say but with that it's time to get into the album i'm curious to hear your thoughts about this one apparently you dug it like a worm <laughs> and we've got all kinds of like fun really compelling instrumentals to talk about i just really enjoy them a lot let's do it the album kicks off with track one singing winds crying beasts starts with that bong bong and the little chimes or like bell chimes yeah with that piano run kind of thing yeah it's very almost eerie it is and then like the wind sound like the blowing right this they make the wind sing it's the symbols i think they they used to emulate the wind really really well yeah yep 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 it's kind of a dark song at least in sound it's mostly the brainchild of drummer mike shreve which is interesting because at least in the early parts of it the singing winds part i presume there aren't really many drums on it i like the cool crescendo they do with the suspended guitar note isn't it cool where he like hits and it's like bam, bam. 
Yeah. It like makes it come in and out. And it dances from ear to ear. It really plays with the full spectrum of like the pan in your headphones. Yeah. Which it's super cool. It's great. And what a, I guess, cautious way to step into this album. I mean, we've talked about some records that just throw you in head first. This song feels like you're just dipping your toe in the water. You know, you're not sure if you want to really get into it. Like it's it's a little intimidating and it eases you into it with the build. It's like try, like trying to boil a frog or whatever. <laughs> it's like trying to boil a frog. What a weird sentence. We should probably go through the actual analogy <laughs> so that people don't think you just boil frogs. Isn't it a frog? What are they doing with the frog? Yeah, no, you're talking about... So the analogy is that people say that the myth is that if you put a frog into boiling... Don't do this. If you put a frog into boiling water, it's going to feel like it's hot and jump out, right? Because it's, it's not going to like it. Yep, 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 yep. If you put a frog into normal temperature water and slowly turn up the heat until it's boiling, the frog will just stay in there till it croaks because it doesn't realize that it's getting hotter. You're right. This is kind of like that where they just slowly, they put you in and they turn up the heat. By the end of the f- almost five minute song, I feel like I'm into the album, but I don't remember getting there. Yeah. Yeah. It casually escorts you along and it's i think got a lot to do with this point at like two ish minutes two and a quarter where they start to put in light percussion you know before it's kind of amorphous there's not really a lot of rhythm and then right around there starts to get a little more structure and a little more driven you know starts to pull a little harder and harder and harder and harder and then finally you just end up there (laughs) It's cool. It's such a cool intro. And I mean, some of their instrumental, like their musical decisions are interesting. The keyboard kind of almost sounds like it clashes with itself from time to time. Just very complex chords that I like a lot. So yeah, that's Singing Winds, Crying Beasts. I don't think there's many better ways to structure an entry point for this album. Good track ordering. Up next, of course, is one of the album's biggest tracks and one of Santana's biggest tracks overall. Right. As we've already talked about, this is the band's cover of Black Magic Woman and Gypsy Queen. Once again, Black Magic Woman written by Fleetwood Mac, Peter Green, and then Black Magic Woman is the beginning part of the song. Santana saw Fleetwood Mac live and decided he had to do that song. He was so inspired. Loved it. It was a big hit for Fleetwood Mac and obviously big hit for Santana. Vocals from Greg Rowley. And to be honest, the lyrics are kind of like, okay. Oh, no, I like the lyrics. I mean, I like them too. It's just, it feels like they're so secondary. Not just here, but everywhere on the album. Yeah, it's because they are. (laughs) Right. It's pretty clear to me the main focus is not only the instruments and the rhythm, but Santana's guitar playing. And so the lyrics and the vocals. Yeah. You got to view the lyrics as just like another flavor that they're using to heighten the instrumentals. I think so. Just another like tool that they can use. It's true. And I love the way that they do produce those vocals. There's a good amount of like reverb on them so that it sounds like they kind of bounce all around a little bit. Yep. It adds a new dimension to the song. I don't think it's too invasive. It feels like a part of the soundscape instead of floating above it. It's nice. The two verse guitar solo in the middle of the song is incredible. Straight up. Like it's hard to find anything better than that. Love it. Yeah. It's good. The Black Magic Woman part obviously is the giant middle, but the Gypsy Queen part bookends the song. The instrumental intro and the instrumental outro are both taken from Gabor Sabo's Gypsy Queen, which I think helps distinguish this song, especially from the Fleetwood Mac version, right? It's not a straight-up carbon copy. It's got its own ebb and flow and its own flavor, and really bookending it like they do 
brings this whole song together. Like it congeals in a whole new way. Yeah. I mean, there is a standalone version of Santana's Black Magic Woman without the Gypsy Queen part. And that's what they used on Guitar Hero. Okay. Yeah. Well, similarly, there is a full standalone version of Gypsy Queen, but you're talking about by Santana. Yeah. How good were you at the Guitar Hero version? Could you play it all on Expert? Pretty good. You could. You were Guitar Hero's Santana? I, I probably could do this one on Expert. I could do a lot of them on Expert, especially because uh, Black Magic Woman was like in the first like set of five songs or maybe first set of ten. Because you know, it was like every so many songs when you played through the story of that one, you moved to a newer venue. Yeah. You got like promoted to a new venue. And so this was in like the first or second one. So it was it was relatively easy compared to some of the later ones. My go-to expert song, though, to the point that, you know, Dave & Busters has Guitar Hero <laughs> 3 as one of their games. A lot of the Dave & Busters do. Yeah. I purposely go and find it anytime I go to a Dave & Busters and go to expert mode and play this song. And it's uh, Painted Black. Painted Black by the Rolling Stones. It was the first song I could ever complete without missing a note on expert. Impressive. You know what song I think would absolutely be terrible on Guitar Hero? <laughs> At least to some degree. As cool as Black Magic Woman would be, I think Oye Como Va would be a rough one on Guitar Hero. Yeah. That's not for the lead parts, right? But if you listen really closely to Oye Como Va, track three, you're going to realize that a lot of the song is one chord played on the organ. <laughs> And it's different, but I think overall, whole package-wise, this song is pretty incredible. Like I mentioned, it's the one that turned me on to Santana. It's probably their biggest song of all time. I would venture it's at least one of them. It peaked at number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100. Do you think this song would do better on, what's the other one, Garage Band? Or, no, what, what was it called? Rock Band. Rock Band. Garage Band. That's the uh, music editing thing, right? That's that's the editing. That's the doll, Yeah. Yeah, the editing software. Do you think this song would be better on Rock Band, where there was like drums and other other things? Maybe, probably. Flipping any Santana song on drums, your drummer's gonna die. <laughs> You're gonna have to check on your friends who play Santana on expert drums. <laughs> and as big of a hit as Oye Komova was for the band, it's not an original. It's a cover of a 1963 song made by Mambo artist Tito Puente. Although estimates are that he wrote it in 1956 and just didn't release it for a few years. When Tito Puente conceptualized this song, he said he wanted it to feel like a miniature jam session. So he didn't actually score the original song. What he did was he went into the studio and he told his musicians to have fun with it and be as playful as possible. So his version is a little bit less punchy than Santana's. It's a lot more brassy, actually. I would recommend you go check it out if you like brass instruments. But mostly Santana's cover is a pretty faithful one. It replaces some wind instruments with guitars, as you might expect, and rocks out. And it's also a case where Puente heard Santana's cover. Sometimes artists don't like it when people cover their songs, you know? I can imagine that can get testy. But Puente loved it, if for no other reason than the royalties he got when the song blew up. That's what I'm saying. I think if I like had the song writing you know, royalties, not just the performance royalties or whatever. Yeah, see, you know. I'd be all for, you know, get as many famous artists to record my song. Right. Yeah. Legend has it that when Puente went to the bank to deposit his first royalty check after Santana's song took off, the bank teller told him that he needed to put more zeros down because he had his total as $35. They said, no, no, it's not $35, it's $35,000. Oh. <laughs> he said, that's a down payment for my new home. That's wild. Yeah, so he loves that. But also, again, I think he really enjoyed Santana's version and thought it was a pretty solid cover. One of the song's most distinct features is a Hammond organ, which, like I said, does a great job 
of tethering the song very strongly to that root note, right? That one same chord they hit over and over. And, you know, another distinguishing characteristic of the song is its chord progression. Because while the organ holds on that one note, the rest of the instruments shift back and forth between two separate chords. The entire song. Like, you could play the whole song just by learning two chords. It's so interesting. Does the two chord thing feel repetitive? Uh, nah, I give that one a solid worm. What's that mean? What? It means I'll dig it. Gosh. I really hope that's... You're the one that said I dug it like a worm earlier. You've done this to yourself. I know. The lyrics to this song are all in Spanish, but roughly they translate to a simple feel-good song. Listen to how my rhythm goes. It's good for enjoying. It's enjoyable. I just think it's cool how they play with the rhythm and the melody within the rigid two-chord structure, almost to the point where you forget that it's been four minutes of the same two chords, because there's so many fun things happening around them. A lot of good support for them. Also... Is this our first song to feature Aguero? Maybe. I think it is. Aguero, you know, is that hollow wooden instrument with ridges all over the side that you run a stick across. It's very common in Latin music and other music, but it's just not one that you encounter often, especially not one that we've encountered often. So there you go, the Aguero. Up next, after Oye Como Va, is Incident at Nesha Burr, another instrumental track. I think what's interesting and kind of telling about this album is that the instrumentals are darn close to the longest songs on this album. You know, Singing Winds, Crying Beasts was 4 minutes and 50 seconds. This song is even longer at 4.57. So I think even though they did roll back their status as a jam band a little bit for this album, I mean, you could clearly see the roots still on full display. And although you might not be able to tell from the music alone as an instrumental, the titular incident at Nesha Burr is a reference to a battle in Haiti where revolutionary Toussaint Louverture defeated Napoleon. Did you know that? No. No. Do you know about that battle? Yes. Really? Oh, I don't know. No. Maybe. No, you you don't because... I don't. That battle never happened and that place does not exist. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I see. Sorry. That was a loaded question. I tricked you. Basically, I mean, that's the inspiration. But people think what happened is that Santana combined the events of an 1804 Haiti massacre and a similar event from 1221 in Iran at a place called Nishapur. So it's this interesting anachronistic amalgamation of things happening here with this title. And just like it blends historical facts, it also blends musical influences. Some parts of the song were inspired by Aretha Franklin, others were by Horace Silver, and still others came straight from the band's pianist, Alberto Gianquinto. It's a pretty fun song, and I can hear very clearly, you know, the parts that were jazz-inspired, especially in those clashy piano chords. There are a lot of really interesting inversions and things happening, but in writing this song, Santana said that the band felt like our own kind of revolutionary. I think it makes good sense to me that this was named after a conflict, real or fictional, because if you listen to the song closely, I mean, you could kind of hear these two sides at war with each other, two, two elements back and forth. Some parts sound like a military march, right? While other parts are a lot more loose and kind of in conflict with it. Yeah. You can hear the shift. I mean, somewhere right around almost 18 seconds, and they go back and forth. There's this interplay between them. It's very cool. What'd you think? How'd this one compare to the other instrumental, Singing Winds, Crying Beasts? It's a little more immediate. This one, I didn't care for this one as much. Okay. Do you think, I think maybe that's because there's not as much of a hook to it? Yeah, that's probably it. There's like rhythms that you remember and can identify this song by, but it doesn't really have much of a, a distinct lead part that repeats itself. Yeah. Which I guess is kind of what makes it unique. I like it. The song also got released on five different Santana compilation albums. So it's a very popular one. 
and it made it into a live album that was focused on the Fillmore Theater and is closing. So you'll hear this song around a lot of places. This is one that might be a part of Santana's Lil Wayne effect. <laughs> Up next, surprising no one, well, as a song that's almost another instrumental, I kind of counted as one. That's Say a Cabo. And it's a bizarre situation here. As you would see the song, maybe if you're looking at Spotify to stream it, and as it was originally released, it's meaningless. Say a Cabo, S-E-A-C-A-B-O. It's, it's not a real phrase. The actual phrase, which didn't really get corrected until Columbia re-released the record years later, is Say a Cabo, S-E space A-C-A-B-O with an accent, which translates to It's Over. Hmm. Yeah, it's different. And I'm curious how they made that mistake. I like the intro to this song. The bum 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 that kind of ramps up. Yeah, yeah. This is an interesting one. You know, we talked about how the instrumentals prior to this point have been really long. This one is so short, it comes in under three minutes, making it the second shortest track on the album. And it's so percussion heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, much like the rest of the album, but I feel it more on this song than some of the rest. Definitely would have to be on Rock Band. <laughs> yeah, definitely, because the guitar part in this one, at least the rhythm guitar part, just comes in short little bursts. You know, they hit the chord at the beginning of the phrase or the measure, and then they wait for the next chord to come along. This is a fun one. Sayakabo, I like it. Also, just because we're talking about, because we're back on Rock Band and Guitar Hero, and I forgot to mention it earlier. You say we're back on it like you didn't <laughs> just mention it yourself. Oh, also, while we're here. Uh, he's a playable character in Guitar Hero 5. He's a playable, I could play as Santana? That's awesome. Yeah, you know how like you can unlock people in the Guitar Hero games? Yeah. Yeah, to be your guitarist avatar on the screen. Yeah. That's cool. I know Slash was a big one in previous games. In 3. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That's fun. Yeah. I wish we could... We're still back. While we're on Guitar Hero, I wish that was still a game that was like around, you know, on new systems with new songs. I have it. I know you do. I just mean like nobody's making Guitar Hero peripherals for the PlayStation 6. I know. Or the Nintendo Switch. You know what I mean? It's a shame. It's basically rhythm games, right? Is what it's turned into. Yeah. Guitar Hero was a rhythm game. Right. It just had a unique way of like playing it. But a rhythm game with a peripheral. I understand why that stopped being a thing. Because who wants to buy 18 extra pieces of equipment for one game? I mean, I agree from a, like, rock band standpoint. That's why I always struggled to, like, rock band, because you had to have, like, oh, you got to have the microphone to sing. You got to have this giant drum set you have to store and, you know, all that stuff. But Guitar Hero was easy. It was just that one guitar that plugged in, and boom, you had access to everything. And you could get a set, you could have two of them so that you could do co-op. It's true. really wasn't that bad. No. Maybe, oh, let's release. It would never be able to happen. Spin It Hero, where you just play Spin It songs. But it wouldn't work, because we don't have the rights to any music. Yeah, but when we write Connor's Hippin' and Hoppin' album, it'll just be that. Yeah, I like it. Maybe you could play through our episodes <laughs> with the podcast mic and the transcript. Anyway, say Akabo. I love it. I love the little chant at the end. It's kind of kind of fun, even though the song is called It's Over. Maybe it's a celebration of it being over. Like, we've entered a new epoch in life, and things are looking up. I don't think it's a sad It's Over. And I love that it ends with these big, momentous instrumental hits. Up next is Mother's Daughter. And this is the first song to actually have, like, a full set of lyrics <laughs> in the form of three distinct verses. You know, I know Black Magic Woman had its own lyrics, too, but those were cover lyrics. These are Santana, 
original lyrics. And I know Oye Como Va had lyrics, but it was that one phrase, repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. So this one actually gets a couple different verses. Lyrically, it's about a girl that the speaker's done with. You know, he's got no time for fooling around. She only wants to play games. She claims to be finding her way, but she's just not moving. Actually, the only reference to the daughter's mother, you know, the title of the song, comes in the third verse's last line. He says, your mother ain't so bad. What happened to you? Which is so funny. It is. This song's interesting because I think it deviates a little bit from that Latin fusion that, that's been so prevalent for the rest of the album. This one feels a little more like a rock track, you know? It's, uh, it's up there with like Black Magic Woman in that style. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, another far edge of the album's musical boundary. Yeah. Which makes it unique. I like it. It's another song that draws a lot from the organ and the bass. And once again, that rhythm section is just outstanding. Probably one of the strongest rhythmic sets of songs on any album we've talked about. I do believe. If you believe it, I believe it. There we go. Then I guess we believe it. And if you weren't digging the lyrics and the vocals, I've got good news for you. (laughs) Another instrumental is in store, Samba Pati. It's a nice samba for you. Yeah. It's another long instrumental coming in at 4 minutes, 44 seconds. Giving you another little, another opinion. I'm back on the hook. Yeah? Okay. I'll keep reeling. What's, what's... What are you thinking about Samba Pati? My favorite of the instrumentals. Wow. Is that just the balladness of it? Yeah. It's got such a like soulful ballad. Okay. Emotional feel to it. Yeah, I there's a lot of heart behind these instruments. And it's interesting how they can make them that way. Just they convey such like a, a weepy emotion, even though there's no words, no vocals. He's just got a really fine touch on that guitar. A firm grasp of how to, as they say, make it talk. Santana actually told the story behind this one in a 2008 interview. He said, Samba Pati was conceived in New York City on a Sunday afternoon. I opened the window. I saw this man on the street. He was drunk and he had a saxophone and a bottle of booze in his back pocket. And I kept looking at him because he kept struggling with himself. He couldn't make up his mind which one to put to his mouth first, the saxophone or the bottle. And I immediately heard a song. I wrote the whole thing right there. So that's an interesting origin story, if ever I've heard one. And what an amazing song to conceptualize on the spot. It's so intricate. And you can kind of hear it. You know, there's times, I think the whole song is caught in that moment of indecision, right? That's the ballad, weepy part. But then in the background, the organ pipes up and you hear all this loud, interesting stuff going on. I feel like that's like the longing, you know, to pursue the saxophone and go for the things that you're excited by. It's just so interesting. I like Samba Pati a lot. And I'm not alone. It's a longtime band and fan favorite. They play it a lot when they're on tour, even now. It's just such a good slow jam. Also, it was a B-side when it came out to say Acabo. Really? I disagree with that. (laughs) I know. I thought you might, but that's the way they did it. Apparently, you're not the only one that disagrees with that. I mean, the Spotify plays are off the charts. See? The people agree with their champion. Yeah. Say Acabo is pushing 6 million. Samba Pati, which 6 million sounds like a lot, right? But Samba Pati is at 83 and a half million. (laughs) So it's not exactly a close race. Second most popular. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the songs that I've always loved, probably, I don't know, I just think it's a lot of fun, is track eight, Hope You're Feeling Better. The second or third, depending on how you think of Oye Como Va. It's the third song with a full set of lyrics. It's good. It's so good. It's again, it's a bit on the rock side. It is, and especially with the vocal, this feels like the time the vocal is the least a part of the sound. You know what I mean? Yeah. We talked about it on Black Magic Woman, how the vocal is mainly like there to enhance the instrumentals. Hope you're feeling better. The 
vocal feels like it's there to punch a little more, which is different, but I like it. Every line in the verses poses a question. Is that you doing this or doing that? Is it you? And then the chorus is a series of well wishes. I hope you're feeling better. I hope you're feeling good. And it's kind of backhanded. You know, the whole song, it's got a bite to it. It's about all the things you have to do and sacrifice sometimes for the lifestyle that you want. Like, yeah, you may be at a place you wanted to be at now, but look at all the things that you've had to damage and let go of and hurt in the process to get there. So I hope you're feeling good with yourself. I hope it was worth the cost that you paid to end up where you are. It's pretty powerful. I like it. Okay, you liked it, but did you dig it? I I think I did. I think I did dig Hope You're Feeling Better. There's some interesting, you know, wah-wah pedal things. The organ is, once again, top tier. I like Hope You're Feeling Better. I don't know that there's a ton to say about it because it's a relatively simple song. I just enjoy it. It's just another fun piece of this album. I mean, the whole album is relatively short at 37 minutes. Hope You're Feeling Better just feels like a nice addition to this album. Yeah. It's heavy. It's loud. It's fun. And the album ends with its shortest track, El Nicoya. It's one minute and 30 seconds long, and it's just a little easy closer. Once again, the bongos, the hand drums are going at it. The handful of chanted Spanish lyrics translate to something like, it itches, let's go, which is interesting. And of course, they shout out the percussion work of the fantastic Jose Chapito Arreyes, who has been, I mean, spot on remarkable end to end on this album. I understand big time why this record was a hit for Santana. Ooh, what a blast. What a whirlwind of a record. I think sometimes the fear with an instrumental album is that it won't manage to stay engaging for the time that you're listening to it. I think Abraxas suffers none of that. In fact, I think this album with its instrumentals probably is more engaging than at least a handful of the lyrical-based albums that we've talked about on the podcast. Yeah. It is so different. The Latin fusion style is so unique. I mean, especially in our catalog so far, but just in general, what a new dimension Santana brought to popular and rock music. I can see why he was such a big hit at Woodstock at the Fillmore beginning his career that really just brought this kind of music to a whole new audience. Stellar. Love it. Let's get into Final Spin. Let's talk scores. For me, I think in my scores here, you're going to notice pretty high scores in music and instrumentals, right? Great compositions, a really unique flavor, excellent talent, excellent musicianship and instrumentalism, strong vibes, right? Very consistent album, very historic album. I like it a lot. But the lyrics have such a small sample size, and rightfully, they're secondary on this album. You know, I don't think there should be more lyrics, but it's just a consequence of that, that, you know, they kind of take a back seat. So the lyric score does suffer a smidge. It's not super detrimental. Music, given it an 88. These songs are so fun. <laughs> I just like them a lot. Lyrically, for the handful of songs that do have lyrics, it dips a little bit, just a smidge, down to a 77. Instruments, though, and production, Oh, it blows me away. The organ, brilliant. Santana, brilliant guitar player. The percussion, brilliant. 96 for instruments and production, which is really what you want on an instrumental album. Oh, chef's kiss. I love it. And for the vibes, 92, quality. It does not get a writer's bonus, but what it does get is an overall score of 86.3. Nice, nice. Nice. Sounds like you dig it. Mm-hmm. Ranking it at number 212. I dig it. I dig it at number 212. Okay, okay. What about you? Uh, now it's time to reel you all the way in. We've we've got the little teases. We've had you on the hook. Let's let's break out the net. You promise to throw me back, catch and release? It's, it's a catch. I'll throw you back, yeah. For me... 
I'm a big fan of instrumentals. <laughs> I'm a big fan of rock music. I did I did know that, yes. And I'm a pretty big fan of jazz music. I did know that too, yes. That's a good blend. So are you a pretty big Fantana? I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know if I just made that up or if that's a real thing, but... I don't know if it's a made-up thing or not, but I'm definitely a Fantana. Hey, cool. Yeah. Guitar Hero 3 primed you for this. I'm so much a Fantana. I'm giving this one... A nine. Wow, big moves. A nine is always, still always surprising. I love it. Great. Nine, although from (laughs) you, I guess, given this album and you, doesn't surprise me that much. I thought it would be at least... At least a seven or above. Seven was like, if for some reason you're having a an awful day and also hated it. But if you were having a good day and hated it, I'm guessing it's like mid to top eights. So it sounds like you're having a good day and you loved it. Yeah. I don't know about love, but I definitely like liked it. Like liked it. That's good. I, di- I dug dug it. <laughs> I dig dug it. <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely a Dig Dug. Remember Dig Dug? What a good game. You know what? That, that just, I think that's the unit. I think this one gets nine Dig Dugs out of ten. Wow. I thought you were going to give it something fish related. I have a couple of those sitting here too, but we had all the, we got to the fish thing from you trying to fish a comment out of me. My comment was that I dug it. Dig Dug's pretty funny. That's true. My other one was just going to be worms or worm arrows. What about, okay, let me propose this then. Wormable Dig Dugs. Wormable Dig Dugs. Diggable worm dugs? Nope. No, no, no. Wormable diggage. Wormable. Diggable wormage. Diggable wormage. There it is. Diggable wormage. We've got there, folks. This one's getting nine diggable wormage out of ten. There you go. <laughs> wow. You got to hear us workshop that one in real time. No, usually I just say something silly and you, yeah, I just usually throw something at you and you have to respond. It usually doesn't work like that. Usually he just throws one at me. <laughs> Whatever. So that's a nine. Where in your nines is it going? It's going right above. That means it's not the bottom. Montero. Ooh. Okay, kind of a lower nine. Still very good. But also right there along with a lot of classic artists like Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, Amy Lou Harris, Duke Ellington. Yes. Tina Turner. (laughs) Yeah, two above Tina Turner. It's in there with some powerhouses. It's true. Santana is in good company. Dr. Demento, the best company. Okay. (laughs) Well, awesome. Now, what about a playlist pick? Sounds like you were gravitating towards Samba Pati or Black Magic Woman. I'm torn. I'm so torn. Because I assume you're taking Oikomova. Okay. I assume that's your take. I'll, I'll take that. It's hard to resist. Yeah, and rightfully so, his most popular work, you know, it, it makes sense. But I kind of want to take, you know, the one that got me in to Santana, which would be Black Magic Woman, but I so enjoyed Samba Pati that it breaks my heart to have to leave it. Well, let me say this. That's one you discovered because of this episode, and it's an instrumental that the playlist admittedly doesn't have a ton of, if I could just weigh in. I know, but Black Magic Woman... Well, Fleetwood Mac already has two songs on the playlist. Yeah, so for number three... <laughs> No, yeah. I just think there'd be something cool with us each taking the song that got us in the Santana. Fair. And also being right next to one another, like we like to do. <laughs> like we accidentally do a lot. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's your call. But you know what? You're right. You're right. We need more instrumentals. And I'm the instrumental guy. But Black Magic Woman, we said basically is an instrumental. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. The, the roller coaster I just went on. I'm going with Samba Pati. That's what? I'm locking what? it. <laughs> okay. 
It's just everything you just said indicated that you were going the other way. Wow. Oh, keep you on your toes. Uh, I might live to regret that one, but that's the choice I'm making. Well, I sure hope you live to regret it. I hope you don't regret it, but I hope if you do, you're alive. (laughs) I might die before I get the chance to regret that. See, that's a way worse thing to say. Well, I guess that's it. (laughs) I guess that's it. We finished the 101st episode. Usually, well, usually when I think it's time to end, there's something I've forgotten. But no, I think we got it all. (laughs) I think that's it. Thank you so much for checking out episode 101, listening and learning along with us. We really appreciate it. Tell a friend who likes fishing about the podcast. Follow us everywhere you can find us. Or at least one place. Which is almost everywhere. You can find us on Twitter at SpinItPod, on Instagram at SpinItPodOfficial, and on the web at www.spinitpod.com. Don't forget... We're still deep in the throes of our 100th episode celebration yep. and two-year anniversary celebration. Coming up, a couple episodes. Coming, yeah, from now until episode 104, we're really in party mode. Woot, woot. Woot, woot. That's it. That's the party mode coming through. That's the party mode alarm. Yeah. You can find all of our special content on the Spin It 100 tab on the website. We'll have streams and lists and blooper reels and things. And things. And we'll see you next week for another fun album of my choosing and, and stuff. But until then... Wait a minute. Waiting. We did forget something. What did we forget? We didn't do your top three. Oh! <laughs> I remembered because I was like, wait a minute, you weren't supposed to get all your top threes. Yeah. And and then I was like, wait a minute, you didn't do any of your top threes. I knew. See, I knew there was something we were forgetting. We just did the whole outro. You're right. Well, close us out with your top three, but only two. No, well, only three. No honorable mention. Right. Close us out with that, and then we'll we'll wrap for real. Uh, in album order, Black Magic Woman, <laughs> Oikomava, and Samba Pati. Unsurprised, but very good. Great top three. <sighs> and with that... <laughs> and with that... <laughs> keep spinning. spinning. Well, that's great. You know, usually it's me who tries to blow past your top three without forgetting. Uh, that's why I was so shocked. I was like, I guess that's it. Like, I couldn't think of what we've forgotten. <laughs> like something feels wrong but i can't put my finger on what it is yeah you know what it was we were just we were just frogs in the pot and it got oh yeah it got too, too hot, hot. We, we, we didn't even realize that the heat had been turned all the way up and we, we croaked at the end also i decided he can keep his one and only blues band title thanks for the last second resolution you're welcome i was wondering if they'd come back up worm era mm-hmm.